That's, that's, that's funny. You're a good dude. Um, Carlos. Oh, man. That's why I love this guy. He's just like a joy. Like you have been a friend for, what have we going on, almost 15 years maybe? Um, you guys are, you're following good pastors. You know, I think about when the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Like Carlos, Gus, Panos, like the team here, just beautiful people. So thank you um, for having me, for letting me be here. Last time I was here, we were in a movie theater. So there's no movie today. Uh, that's great. So um, as we start this series, though, Carlos asked me to, uh, to kick us off um, about being sent, about evangelism and, and sharing your faith. And today we'll talk about the, the gospel, if I'm... I don't know about that. No, I try not to, but I will if I have to. Okay. Oh my goodness. So Carlos and I have this long running thing, right? He thinks this is like the glory of God is in the handheld. I think it's like a televangelist. So I try to, sh- anyway, we'll see what happens. We'll give this a shot. Okay. Confident in my guys. All right. I'll try to, all right. We'll see how that works. Okay, so we're talking about the gospel, the heart of our faith, and it's easy as Christians to sometimes go, yeah, yeah, I get all that. Let's talk about something else. And the last thing that we want to do as followers of Jesus is to say, yeah, yeah, let's talk about something else when this is really what we need to be experiencing. And Brennan Manning was, he was an alcoholic. He struggled with alcoholism for a long time, becomes a follower of Jesus, becomes like a priest, a contemplative, an author. And he's talking about how valuable it is and how nece- what a necessity it is for him to experience God's grace and love in his own life and not just rely on other things. And he says this, otherwise, we become unconvicted and unpersuasive travel agents handing out brochures to places we've never visited. That is the last thing the church needs to become. Travel agents, handing out brochures to places you yourself have never visited. Let's pray as we begin this series. Father, thank you for the scripture that you've given to us. We don't have to wonder who you are. You've revealed yourself to us. And Lord, we gather here today as your church in this space. We're thankful for it. We're also thankful that all across the globe, Christians are gathered in spaces to Enjoy the reality of your grace and goodness and presence. So would you renew our hearts in your love and your truth? Would you help us to be aware of your presence? So often we live unaware. We need to be aware. So Lord, thank you for this time, for your presence with us, and for your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So years ago... uh, My family and I, we just moved to Tampa uh, about two years ago, but we lived in Homestead, uh, North Cuba, for about, it's not Miami, right? Like, it's way down there. I realize now, it's really far away. And all the traffic and everything makes it even farther and farther away now, right? So so we lived down there for 11 years, part of planting a church down there. And uh, we, we had a lot of neighborhood, like, barbecues and parties and things like that, and so we'd always be there. And I remember this one time I was having this conversation with a guy, and he found out I was not only a Christian, but a pastor, which can be a weird thing when people find out you're a Christian, especially if they find out you're a pastor, they start apologizing for like, oh, what did I say a few minutes ago that you're going to judge me on? It's like, no, dude, it's not like that. I promise, you know? So, so anyway, he's like, he goes, well, he goes, um, he goes man, I, I can't be a Christian because I believe in science. I was like, huh, interesting. I was like, well, I believe in science. I mean, science is just making observations 
about the world and how it works so we can better understand it. And, and what that does is we have, make these observations and learn that. It just it shows me how incredible this God is to create that, that when you see the wonder of a creation, you wonder who the creator is. And so the more we study science and study things, it's beautiful because it points us to him. I've got friends who are scientists. I, like, I love it. And he's looking at me like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. And then he goes, okay, so you're saying that if somebody is a murderer or a child molester like their whole life and then right before they die, they ask God to forgive them, that God will forgive them and they can go to heaven? I was like, whoa, this kind of shifted pretty quickly from <laughs> science, right? So, and I just said, man, here's what I love about Christianity, is that no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've come from, or what has happened, that the good news is that the death of Jesus Christ on a cross is so powerful, so amazing, so big, so grand, that it can forgive every single thing we've ever done, no matter when we realize it. So yes, I do believe that if in that moment someone has that realization and they trust in Christ, yes, God will joyfully welcome them in. And I'll never forget his response because we were talking in front of this big red truck and he pounds the hood of the truck and he goes, I can't accept that. I was like, okay, I get yeah, it's a big thing to accept. But I said, let's be clear. Your objection with Christianity is not science. It's grace. That God could be a God who forgives and receives people not based on what they've done, but based on what he's done for them. It's grace, not science. And he goes, okay, I guess it is. Now, I share that because as you begin a series about being sent and about evangelism and sharing your faith, that the center of our faith is, is not about science. It's not about were there dinosaurs on the ark. It's not about your political views. and It's not about being a good person. It's not about trying to be better than who you used to be. It's not about making promises that you swear you'll never do that again. That is not what it's about. It's actually about a God of grace who loves actually did something to change our reality and bring us into a whole new one. And this is what Paul is focused on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He draws our attention to this. This is the scripture that was read a minute ago. And he says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you. And then in verse 3, he says, that which is of first importance... First importance, the most important, of supreme importance. This is the big E on the eye chart, those of you with glasses. This is the big E on the eye chart. This is the oxygen mask that drops down when the cabin pressure is dwindling. This is the thing of all things, the thing that you have to grasp that transcends and transforms everything. This is the gospel. And the word gospel means good news, not good rules, not good advice, not good teaching, not good ideas, not good thoughts, good news. And it comes from, in the Greek, this word euangelion, which I'm not here to teach Greek, but that's the word we get evangelism from. So as you talk about evangelism in the weeks to come, it comes from this word now, if you're new to church, or even if you've been in church for a while, sometimes the word evangelism is like a creepy word, isn't it? Yeah. And 
back in college, we would take these trips down to um, New Orleans during Mardi Gras. Um, not to do Mardi Gras stuff, <laughs> but, but to actually talk to people about Jesus. And, um, but when we would go down there, there was these like guys carrying these huge signs that would say like, turn or burn, you're going to hell and all this kind of stuff. There would be guys with preaching through a megaphone with bodyguards and a big, huge Bible yelling Bible verses at people. And it was, it was weird. And maybe you've seen some of this before, right? And it's like, when you think evangelism, it's like, oh, does it mean that? I don't want to do that. My, my daughter's uh, at UCF uh, in Orlando going to college, and she would see these people on campus. She's like, Dad, is that what I have to do? No, please. First of all, you're a high, high introvert. I don't know how well that would go. If... <laughs> Actually, try it. I want to see what that goes like. No. Or, or we hear the word evangelism when it's talked about on the news, like CNN Fox News this year. I don't know if you've heard there's an election going on. And they'll talk about needing to get the evangelical vote, the evangelicals. And so now it's this political term, and then they speak in certain ways about, and you're just like, oh, this word. And it's like, oh, but it's like this word is such a good word. It means good news, not bad news. This is the root of this. And it's valuable and sacred to us. Tim Keller did a lot of writing about this word, and he says this word this evangelion, it distinguishes the Christian message from every other religion. That the word angel is in that word, and an angel is simply a messenger who brings good news, news of some event that has happened already, and that because that event has happened, it now radically changes the condition of the listener. So the one who hears the good news, now their condition is different because of what has happened. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? So the most common examples in Greek is they would have an evangel come about a victory in a war or a king that is now ascended, and they would report back to the people, and that victory means that now you have a different identity, you have a different status, you have a different future, you have a different relationship to the king. Oh, this is why it's good news. This is the gospel and when Christians were writing about Christianity, they, they, this is the word they chose. They didn't choose other words like, like illumination or knowledge or instruction or teaching or wisdom. Those are common words in other religions to describe what they have for you. But we have good news. Paul says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I preached to you. And that word preached comes from the same root word as the word gospel or good news. So you know what Paul's saying? I want to remind you of the good news that I good news to you. I want to remind you of the gospel that I gospeled to you. That's what he's saying. Such a sacred word. Such a beautiful word, the gospel. And it brings to light three realities for us today. And the first is this, is that the gospel really happened. The good news it really happened. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, which, pause real quick, that is your series right there. You're receiving the gospel, and then you're delivering it to others. There it is. There's your series. Done. Next. 
I received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, just like the scriptures prophesied what happened. Verse four, that he was buried. There was a, a burial. But then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul is describing an actual event that took place that really happened. He's not saying what is of first importance is that you follow the rules. What is of first importance is you make sure you go to church. He's not saying what is of first importance is that you get people to stop cussing, get people to stop sinning. He's not saying those things are of first importance. He's saying what is of first importance is this, that Christ died and that he rose. And Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a jacked up city. I mean, messed up. Now, let's think about Miami for a second, right? Miami is like, it's beautiful, right? Like, what a, what a joy. It, it, we loved living here, and it's just an amazing city. The cultures, just the beauty, the weather, the, oh, we love it. Isn't it cool like when you're at some place amazing here and then you hear people of like a complete other part of the world and you know they spent like so much money to get here and you're like, we just walked across the street. We live here. <laughs> like that's amazing. And you're like, well, we pay a lot in other ways, I guess. Okay. But, but like, like there's, but our city is beautiful as, as Miami is. We also know it's very broken and it's very centralized and promiscuous, Right? Well, Corinth, where Paul is writing, was more so. That for them, to be a Corinthian was to, in a sense, be sexually immoral. And, and they had worship at their temple where there were prostitutes there, where they could go be with a prostitute as part of their pagan worship. And the church was in that city. And there were impacts from things of that culture in the church that Paul was dealing with. But Paul is saying the most important thing that transforms and transcends is if, if the church understands this one thing, it will transform in all these other things. And that one thing is that Christ died and raised again. Now, if you're exploring Christianity at this church this is what you're exploring. Did Jesus live, die, and rise again? That is the essence of what you're exploring. It's not the political views of Christians. It's not the sexual ethic of Christians. It's not all of these other things. It is, did Jesus live, die, and rise again? Paul will go on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and say, if that did not happen, forget it all. Eat, drink, be merry, party, do whatever you're done, and the truth is, then you're going to have to stand before God accountable, and you've got no grace to help you. So you're exploring this, this death of Christ. The religious leaders of his day, the political leaders of his day, they hated Jesus. They feared him. They didn't want this movement taking their power and their control, so they killed him. They whipped him within an inch of his life. They hung him on a Roman cross until his last breath was breathed. They had a professional executioner who would take a spear and shove it into his side, and it would cause blood and water to come out, evidence that this man was dead. He was taken off the cross. He was placed in a real tomb owned by a man named Joseph, and it was sealed and guarded by professionals. These are the facts of the case. This is history. 
But there's also another fact in the case. Is that on Sunday, he was raised to life again. There's a, a body was dead, and then it wasn't. It came back to life three days later. Now, the skeptics among us might say, yeah, dude, I don't know. Like, people back then, maybe they believed more stuff like that. But, like, it's 2024. We know that, like, that doesn't. Here's the thing. They didn't believe it back then either. They thought when a body dies, it stays dead. I mean, Jesus spent three years, and he'd be telling them, look, I'm going to die. And then I'm going to come back. Do you understand? <laughs> Comprende? Like, you get that? <laughs> I'm going to die. And then I'm over and over and over again. And when he dies and the third day came, do you know how many people were just hanging out by the tomb going, hey, remember that whole third day thing? Let's go see. Zero. Nobody. It, it was incomprehensible. What do you, like, oh. But this is what it was. So Paul says, this happened. And he says, Look what he does. He tells him he's like, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at one time, verse 6, most of whom are still alive. You got questions about, because they were questioning it too. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Like, what? Like, that was a, yeah, go ask. 500 people saw him. And, and they're down there playing dominoes. You can go ask them. <laughs> and he says, though some have fallen asleep. Reference to because there's going to be a physical resurrection at the end. That's a whole nother sermon. But he's like, no, look, you can, you can fool a few people, but to fool 500. I mean, he's writing this letter like 20 years after the resurrection would have taken place. And Paul's like, go ask those people. They were there. They know it. They know this really happened. The good news is Jesus came. He died and he rose again. This really happened. And secondly, though, not only did it really happen, it really happened for you. It happened for you. It happened for me. It happened for us. Go back to verse 3 again. He says, this is of first importance, that Christ died. Not just that he died, but he died for our sins. It wasn't just because the leaders didn't like him and they put this teacher to death but this was about a greater purpose in Christ's death for our sins. Now, sins are all the ways that we have fallen short of God's standard for us. All the ways that we missed the mark, all the ways that we've crossed lines and boundaries that we shouldn't have crossed. None of us have loved God and loved people like we ought. I think we all could acknowledge that. And more, I think none of us are experiencing the life, the full life that we are made for. Like we, we, we really know what it's like to be separated from God. Like this lack of clothes, like it's beautiful in here, right? Like we, we sing and I don't know about you, but I'm, I got tears in my eyes as we're, we're worshiping and it's like you're enjoying the presence and nearness of God. And you know what tomorrow is? It's Monday. And sometimes we wake up on Monday like, God, where are you? You go to work, you encounter people, you got stuff in your eye, you got things to do. Like Monday, ah, oh. like where's God? Like we, 
we just, I mean, we feel the separation there. We feel it, that something is just off in our world. Something is broken. We feel it within ourselves, don't we? Anxiety, worry, fear. Some of us, we try to control things, and it's like the more we try to control it, the worse it gets. This idea of letting go and trusting God just seems like un unfathomable. Our bodies break down, sickness, illness, cancer, Right? We see brokenness in our relationships. We experience that where it's like we were so close and it's like, how is so-and-so? And you're like, ah, we're not really. Oh. We feel the brokenness marred by anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, lack of trust, deception. Something is not quite right in us or around us. And the Bible calls all of this sin and the effects of sin. It's more than just doing something wrong. It's a, really a, a failure to understand, to think, and to desire rightly, and to do rightly from a right place. It's a violation of God's law, that God has a law that he has given us, and we have broken that law, and more so, we've broken the heart of God that gave us that law. Any parents in here? You ever given your kids any rules? If not, we got to talk. But you give your kid a rule, why? Just because you love rules and you want to make rules and have rules all the time? No, it's because you love your kid. So maybe it's don't put your finger in the light socket, don't touch the hot stove, be home by 11, whatever it might be, whatever those, you give those rules and you do it because you love them and you want their good. And when they finally violate and break those rules, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Not because you just love rules. Maybe you do, but no, it's because you love your kid and you know that in that moment, they actually disregarded you and your wisdom, thought they knew better than you and determined what they would do. And then they end up suffering the consequences for the very thing that you were like, oh, my heart went out to you. That's why I put this there because I love you. That's God towards us. That's the law that we've broken and the heart that we've broken. Sin is a failure to see and trust in the goodness of God and instead say, I'm going to trust myself for my life. John Stott was a pastor and theologian from the UK, and he said, he wrote in his book, The Cross of Christ, he said, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, putting himself where only God should be. But... The cross is God substituting himself for man, putting himself where only man should be. Christ died for our sins. This is the good news that Christ died for our sins, that he lived sinlessly in our place. He never broke God's law. He never broke the Father's heart. And Christ then died as a payment for our crimes. He's treated as guilty. We go free. He's treated like a criminal. We're welcomed in as sons and daughters. Rather than you pay for what you've done to God, God says, I will pay for what you've done to me. What kind of God is this? There's this amazing scene in John 18, where the night that Jesus is going to be arrested, 
And he's with his disciples, and here come the authorities, and they've got their torches, and they've got their weapons to apprehend him. And in this moment, it says that Jesus steps forward and says, whom do you seek? No doubt, the fear that what his disciples are going through, all the anxiety, all the, I don't know, the, Jesus steps forward, and they're like, Jesus of Nazareth is who we seek. He's like, I'm he. He says, you're seeking me, so let these men go. What a beautiful image of what the gospel is, that Jesus steps forward and says, I'll take the heat. You let these ones go. I'll bear the weight on the cross. You let these ones go. Isaiah prophesied it this way, Isaiah 53. He says, he was pierced for our transgressions. All the lines we crossed, he was pierced for that. He was crushed for our iniquities. Every impure thought, deed, action, word that's come from us, he was crushed for that. And the punishment that we deserve that brings us now peace was on him. And by his wounds, we get healed. We're restored to God. We're welcomed in by God. We know that he's not just some distant creator and the judge who's going to judge our sins, but he's our father who loves and forgives and his arms are open wide. I've taken your sins away, he says. Though he's the offended party, he initiates. Micah 7 says he has thrown our sins into the depths of the sea. We would think he would throw them in our face. He throws them into the depths of the sea. So if you're someone who knows you've sinned, who's living more in turmoil than peace, you need to be reminded of the gospel. The gospel, that Christ died for your sins. Not just the ones years ago, but the one last night. The recent one, the present one, the current struggle in. Christ died for your sins. Some of you say that's not enough, so you beat yourself up, and you punish yourself, and you think that's what you need to do, is you need to beat yourself up. No, you need to be reminded of the gospel, which is of first importance, that Christ died for your sins. Rejoice in that. Thank God for that. Wake up into that on Monday morning. Christ died for your sins. It really happened. It really happened for you, and when you see and treasure the fact that not only did that just really happen... It really happened for me. When that happens, then what happens is the gospel really happens to change you. This is where the power to change, become new people actually happens. When the gospel's not just a thing out there or something you've moved past, but it is actually something that you live in regularly, that this was for me. This is what Paul in a sense, displays here in this section, we see that he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and he'll, he'll, he's telling them that this physical resurrection of Jesus means at the end of your days, there will be a resurrection. Again, a whole nother sermon on that. But Christ's resurrection means that on your last day, at the end of days, there will be another resurrection that we will experience. But also, in the meantime, because of Christ's resurrection... We get to experience resurrection regularly, ongoingly, that we experience death to things and resurrection to new life. This is our pattern of life. The death and resurrection happened then, it will happen then, but it also always happens. 
This is what the gospel does in us. That because you believe in the reality of what Christ did, you get to experience the reality of what Christ is doing in you right now. Right now. Today. Monday. How so? Well, look what he says in verse 5. He says that after Jesus was risen, he appeared to Cephas. You know who Cephas was? Peter. Simon Peter, we know him as Peter, right? You know who Peter was? Peter was like one of the biggest failures. I mean, in a lot of ways. Here's this guy who follows Jesus, fisherman. He's like following Jesus all these years. I mean, three years he's with him. And he's like, I will never deny you. Anyone ever made a promise? I will never, right? It needs to be like parentheses until next time, right? But I will never. He's like, I'll never deny you. And Jesus is like, meh. We're going to go with three times, actually, tonight you're going to. Sure enough, three times. And he becomes a coward, and he's filled with all this guilt and shame and everything as he's just away, as he leaves Jesus and abandons him on this night, doing what he swore he would never do. Jesus rises again from the dead. Jesus comes back and shows himself to Peter to crush him, to say, hey, listen, bro, you owe me some explanation. Like, that was a rough night for me, and you left me. What do you got to say for yourself? No. To say, Peter, I died for you, too, for your sins. And now what's going to happen is, as Peter would experience the grace and kindness of Jesus and the restoring power of him, Peter would actually go on to be one of the leaders of the church who would be about restoring and helping others. He wrote things like 1 Peter and 2 Peter for us. He wrote words of, cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Peter knew that care. So there was a death to his self-reliance, and there was a resurrection to reliance on Christ and compassion and care. He lists here, he goes on, he says, and James, Jesus also appeared to James. You know who James was? James was Jesus' brother. Like, how's that for pressure? So your brother's the Messiah. How's that going for you? So James, though, doesn't believe because we know Jesus' family did not believe. In fact, when he was doing his ministry, they're like, why don't, if, if you're really, you know, all that, then why don't you go do all this stuff in public, you know? Why don't you make that? And they're like, so there was, James was, in a sense, cynical, had a lot of cynicism towards Jesus. Cynicism is when you look, through everything, you know, cynical people, no matter what you share, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, it's like they can see right through it. And it's actually like Paul Miller says, when you see right through everything and you experience nothing, you think you see right through it. And the truth is you experience nothing. Then that was James. Oh, I see right through this. He didn't experience the grace and love of Jesus until after the resurrection, Jesus comes back, shows himself to James. Why? To say, ha ha, I'm the better brother. No. <laughs> No, to say, James, I died for you too. And what would happen in James is a death to cynicism and a resurrection to faith. And he would write the book of James, which is about faith and one of the best writings to understand what real faith actually looks like. James experienced death and resurrection because of the gospel. And then Paul goes on, he says, and then Jesus appeared last of all to me. And I was a, I'm the worst of the worst because I was dragging Christians out of their homes throwing them in prison, having them killed, because Paul was a self-righteous, self-made, type A machismo, I got this, I know the things, and you do it this way, or you're wrong. 
until Jesus showed himself to him. And then Paul's like, yo. Paul's humbled. Paul no longer would cause suffering for people, but Paul would become a man who would be able to endure great suffering because he would say, I want to know Christ. I just want to know him. His grace, oh, he's so gracious. He would write so much for us in the New Testament. Don't put your trust in yourself and all of your, your resumes and your abilities and your achievements. Not all of that. Only in Christ and Christ alone. There was a death and a resurrection in Paul. And maybe you're going, well, Steve, that was a long time ago. Like, those guys. Like, well, let me tell you about a guy recently. His name was Nick. He comes to my office, him and his girlfriend. And uh, he's skeptical of Christianity. And so I said, okay, what, what makes you skeptical of, of Christianity? He said, well, I've just seen too much. I've seen, I've seen a lot, man. He's like, I'm a, I'm a firefighter. Like, and those of you that are in, I don't know if there are any firefighters in here, fire and rescue, uh, ER, police, all, like you guys go, you see like the most broken, difficult, painful scenes in, in our cities, right? And he's like, I, I, man, I've seen too much. I was like, I have a lot of respect for you. You see and go through things that I, I don't think I could. I said, well, tell me about how'd you grow up? Like what? He's like, man, I, my dad uh, sold a lot of drugs. And when I was nine, I began to, to steal those. And I would sell them. So as a teenager, I was selling a lot of drugs. And then I got hooked on those drugs and basically was doing coke for about 20 years. It's like I've finally been clean for the last few, but... Yeah, man, I've just, so much, so much. And I could just see it on his face. It's like, yeah, that's a lot. I said, well, let me ask you then, what, what makes you curious about Christianity? I'll never forget, because he, he points at his girlfriend, he goes, her. <laughs> I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? Here's what he said. I know what she's been through. I know the abuse. I know the abandonment. I know the things that have been done to her. I know what's happened to her. I know what she's done. I know all of that stuff. And she still has this light in her eyes and this joy and peace about her. And I don't understand how that's possible. It's like, I was like, pause, hold on. What does it make you feel like to hear him say that? You know, she's like, oh, I had no idea, you know? A little counseling, a little moment, you know? I said, here's how it's possible. It's because there's a God who sees us and sees all the brokenness around us and in us. And that didn't cause him to run away, but actually move towards us with compassion. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to experience all of this and then to die on a cross, a brutal death that pays for all of our sins. He was laid in the tomb. He raised on the third day. He conquered death. He conquered it all. And he's alive. And he said that all who believe and trust in him will be forgiven of everything and get to experience life with God. And so that even if all of this chaos and stuff is true out there, there's something new in here. I said, so if you're exploring and you want to know what Christian is, you really need to explore, did Jesus live, die, and rise again? Everything hinges on that. 
So he said he was open to explore that. So I gave him the book, The Reason for God by Tim Keller. He got about halfway through it, and then he would text me and ask me all these questions. We would meet together for lunch, and we would talk through all of those, and then he would read the rest of it, and he would uh, get more questions and more time together over a meal and talking through that. And then he's like, okay, now I want to read the Bible. What's that about? What do I, where do I go? I was like, read John. So he's reading John. He's texting me. We're meeting. We're eating. We're doing all this. And he gets done with John, and I got him in Mark, and then he's reading Acts, and he's done Galatians. He's done all, there are days like, I just I finished uh, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, James, what do I do next? You know, and it's like, dude, you're a beast. It's like you're putting pastors to shame of the amount of scripture you're taking in. It's awesome. And we were meeting and I said, this was about three or four weeks ago. I said, I said, buddy, you, would you say that you have crossed the line of faith now to, to say that you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And... Um, he looks up at me. He's got tears in his eyes. He puts his burger down, and he's like, yeah. He goes, I, um, I got about halfway through Reason for God, and I realized, I think I believe this. And he's like, I don't know everything. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know where this is going, but I have a peace and a joy, and I think I need to get baptized. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then we met just a couple days ago, and like that same light and joy that was in his girlfriend's eyes, it's in his He's different. And he's like, his family, now he's trying to figure out how do I tell, like how do I talk about this with my family and people that I used to go party with and do stuff with? And he's trying to figure out. I was like, dude, that's what it's about. You've received something. God's doing something in you. And then it's going out. So let me just land with this. What, what about you? Have you crossed the line of faith to say, I don't know everything, but I do know and believe that Jesus died and rose again for my sins to be forgiven. Have you received that good news for yourself? Not tried to earn it, fix it, explain it, that just receive the good news and let God love you and welcome you as his child. I encourage you, cross that line of faith. Just say, Lord, I, I surrender, I'm yours, I believe. I, want to, I trust you. That's where it begins. Some of us, we've been maybe a Christian a long time, and you know what, here's the thing. The gospel is no longer of first importance to us. We've drifted. We've made politics of first importance. We've made all these other things, our family and our, our work and our stuff. We've made all these other things of first importance. What does it look like for you to get up in the morning and before you even get out of bed, remind yourself don't wait for me, don't wait for Carlos, don't wait for somebody else, that you remind yourself of the gospel. I wake up this morning, Jesus, you have died for my sins. You receive me, you welcome me, and you are with me today. Lead me this day and walk in his presence. So where are you at and what does it look like for you to take a next step in following Jesus? Let's pray.